Hello and welcome to the Cynical Podcast, where we take deep dives into the shallow waters of today's blockbuster movies, star-studded films, and most hyped popcorn flicks. We're your hosts, Malika, Clacy, and Will, and today we'll be discussing the latest installment of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. This is your official spoiler warning. If you care about the plot of Shang-Chi and the Ten Rings, I would turn away now. Spoilers lie ahead. <laughs> <laughs> so here's a quick recap of Shang-Chi from Letterboxd. Shang-Chi must confront the past he thought he had left behind when he's drawn to the web of the mysterious Ten Rings organization. That is the most vague plot I've seen on Letterboxd. That's it? Gotta say. That's I was, it. I was pausing because I thought there was Yeah, more. no, that was the, <laughs> it's the one line. Unless like there was like a more button I missed, but that's that's all they got for us. I guess maybe it makes me wonder if they're trying to like keep everyone as unfamiliar with the, yeah. the, the plot of the movie because that's not much information. Because there wasn't one throughout the movie. Ooh, hot takes coming in already. Well, welcome to the Cynical Podcast, where we will give you what Letterbox didn't. We'll pick <laughs> this movie apart. Um, okay, on that note, like, let's get into it. What were your first impressions? Will, you sort of gave us a sneak peek to what you thought, so why don't you kick us off? Okay. I liked the movie, even though my snarky comment at the beginning was quite negative. I liked the movie. It was pretty run-of-the-mill Marvel, which depending on how you look at it, is a good or a bad thing. Because Marvel, they rarely miss. They rarely put out garbage. I mean, they've done it before, but not often. At the same time, it wasn't something that I think if you're not a Marvel movie fan or if you've seen previous Marvel movies and you didn't like them, I don't think this is going to be the one that makes you say, oh, Marvel movies are actually good. Um, <laughs> the fight scenes were awesome. Simu Liu and Aquafina as the main stars of the movie were both charismatic, hilarious. Want to reiterate the fight scenes were awesome. Mm -hmm. Some crouching tiger, hidden dragon vibes, especially with the first fight between the mom and the dad. But as far as plot and story goes, I would actually say this is pretty weak for Marvel plot and story, in my opinion. There wasn't really much of a plot or at least the plot for the first two thirds of the movie really did not match with the final act and that kind of felt like it came out of nowhere but overall i enjoyed it if you like marvel movies i think you would enjoy it too yeah i feel like at this point if you're trying to jump into the mcu and we're at movie i don't even know 25 or something at this point maybe just give it up i think that's okay you know what you're signing <laughs> up for right yeah, really enjoyed the fights, giving a little view towards what I think is pitch perfect. But yeah, the plot could have used some work, uh, but it wasn't anything like worse than what I was expecting from like a Marvel movie, like you mentioned, Will. I think it's actually a fairly strong first entry compared to outside of maybe Iron Man. Most of the other heroes don't really have their strongest movie be their first one. So uh, yeah, Simulu and, uh, and Chang-Chi are in good company there. It's a good point. Not a lot of the first entry Marvel movies were the strongest i didn't consider that yeah i agree with both of you i love the fight scenes i loved how there were some strong badass women i love the chemistry between simuli and aquafina shang chi and katie i thought they were fantastic like you said will um so and i agree i really enjoyed watching this movie and i think that it falls into the trap that black widow fell into a little bit where like as you guys said the first two thirds were pretty strong and they feel like this like extra like let's ratchet it up and then it just like doesn't work as well. Like so in Black Widow, there's that scene on the, the the whole ending piece on the ship. And now we've got the same thing in this like mystical land. So it felt in that sense, very cookie cutter Marvel. And so it was like a flow I'm familiar with, with each movie that I've seen in the cinematic universe. So that wasn't like jarring in any way, but it didn't allow this movie to rocket up to the top 10 of the Marvel cinematic universe, in my opinion. But again, Super enjoyed this movie, really excited about what it represents. And what is really cool about it is that even though you probably shouldn't be necessarily starting with this one and like try to decide if you like Marvel, it was standalone enough that if you did 
if you really are, you're a huge Aquafina fan and you just want to watch a fun, rollicky movie, this would be fine for you. And it's not like you would miss anything. It's not like watching Endgame without having seen Infinity War, right? So I did like how they were able to balance that. But there were enough Easter eggs. There were enough like characters and storylines that did show where it fit into the larger Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah, I agree. After just doing Black Widow and watching Black Widow, like you were saying, Malika, both of them, they should have been like not Marvel movies the whole way through, if that makes sense. Both of them for the first two thirds of the movie seemed like they were going for something different. Like Black Widow kind of had a Jason Bourne spy movie on the run type feel. And then the final act, it goes for its Marvel cookie cutter finale same thing with this it was kind of a you know it wasn't really a kung fu movie but it was its own kind of fight adventure style movie almost like it's like a street level fight yeah yeah yeah. and then right street level is a great way to put it and then the final scene the final act it has to turn over to the marvel cookie cutter big cgi throw up mess at the end um, yeah. which is unfortunate, but you know, Marvel is not going to take risks like that at this point. They have their formula that works, that gets people to the movies and that right, sets right. up their next ones. Brings in millions. Right. Why would they change right. it? That's a good point. I would like to see them change it, but yeah, it would be nice to see them take risks. And I think they are doing that a little bit more with their series, um, you know, with Loki and with WandaVision. I think that's where they're trying to like test out what audiences are willing to accept. So if they can bring that to the big screen, I think that'd be really interesting to see. The other thing to point out here, of the 25 movies that have come out so far in the MCU, it would be interesting to just rank the origin stories, the first movies for the mm. most part, because they are not the strongest. Like, even though I would argue that the first Avenger for Captain America and Iron Man, those are enjoyable movies. They're clearly not the best in their trilogy or whoa, in the movies whoa, that whoa. follow. Okay. You like Iron Man 1 the best? Yes. Sorry. Okay. Yeah, I think Iron Man 1, I mean, I have... Okay, maybe that's the only one. I, have my, I think you Iron Man 1. My I actually really now. enjoy Iron Man 3, and I might be the only one who does no i think we i think we we all agree that like it's better than two it's way better yeah than oh two, two is trash had it, like nibbling yeah. so maybe it's possible that i like three because it came after such a trash number two <laughs> my <laughs> expectations were lower but yeah you're right so maybe iron man which is one of the first is it was able to be the only origin story that really like be better than the movies that followed is a really interesting point there. And I hope that they're able to sort of bring back the magic of Iron Man as they continue to introduce us to new characters along the way. And it's interesting to see how that reflects where the state of Marvel as a production company was because, mm-hmm. because Iron Man needed to stand alone, not only as a story self-contained, but it needed to standalone like as a film by itself because it didn't have but yet have the benefit of having all these other films that came before right it, it was right. it was, was the tone setter and it kind of yeah it has more to do fate. right and it did it really well and it may be the other movies are leaning too much on the legacy and they're not giving us a full concrete movie in that sense yeah, it's like they have to get you familiar with the character first and foremost, and then it's like, okay, let's let the character do all the cool stuff that is, you know, in line with, like, who they are. Yeah. I mean, it's also because there's been 25 movies, 25 movies to build all of this expectation on what a Marvel movie should be. So if we didn't get some sort of big action scene, maybe they thought that, people would be disappointed. And I don't think any of us are saying that they shouldn't have had some massive battle at the end. It's just the choices that they made may not have been the ones that, you know, the three of us would recommend, which we'll get into for sure. But before we do get into what we would change about this movie, I'd love to talk to you guys more about one of our favorite reoccurring themes, which apparently every movie we choose has this theme. So I don't know if it's us or the world. I was going to say, what does that say about us as people? Or is it like what blockbuster (gasps) movies, like they know that this is an important trope. you guys found family? Is that it? found family. There we go. It's found family. Um, So yeah, what do you guys think about the Shang-Chi version of found family here with Katie and and Shang-Chi? I think this story had something really interesting going on where obviously we start the movie with Shang-Chi has left his family 
he moved to America. We see him with Katie and spending time with her family. And obviously they have a really close bond. But as we go throughout the story, he kind of gets back together with his original biological family. And just the dynamics there within that entire family, I think, are really interesting. Because at first, it doesn't really feel like strong resentment either way. He kind of gives his family like that second chance. And it just is an interesting dynamic specifically between Shang-Chi and his father. Like his father was this thousand year warlord who terrorized the world, who gave that all up for his family. And then when his wife dies, he turns back to it. But for the purpose of bringing the family back together, I just think it's an interesting dynamic between Shang-Chi and his father. And when they fight at the end, we see that even more of like Shang-Chi goes into the last fight between the two of them, ready to kill his father and his father ends up sacrificing his life for Shang-Chi. I think there was more meat left on the bone to explore that deeper. Like, why does he make that decision? What was the turning point? Where was that bond? Like how did within a period of like movie time, 20 minutes, who knows how long movie time, but Shang-Chi go from ready to execute his dad to like finding the shared understanding of who they were. But I thought it was interesting and it played well with Katie as a character kind of following Mm -hmm. along with Shang-Chi. And yeah, I was interested about Katie and Shang-Chi as to, you know, (laughs) what's the status of that relationship? (laughs) What are your intentions here? What are your intentions? Yeah, quickly going back to the father, I agree with you. I think they could have done a lot more. And in a weird way, I felt like I understood Sean's, you know, his name when he's in San Francisco, his connection to Katie and her family more than I did. Even in those short scenes where he's just having breakfast, he's like pops in, he's picking Katie up. I felt like, okay, this is a guy who's like basically been adopted by this family. And the the closeness was very clear in a few scenes. And then we have a lot more time where we see Sim Huli and Tony Leung on screen together. And I did didn't get enough of the depth of their relationship and I don't know and maybe I just am not remembering this but like I would have loved a scene with just the two of them I think there was a lot of scenes where it was Katie was there the sister was there and it was like group conversations but if we could have deepened their relationship when it got to that final fight at the end I think it would have had a lot more emotional heft yeah Malika I was gonna bring up the exact same point that I don't think we got maybe more than one scene where uh, Shang-Chi is just with his dad. Like I'm actually, I'm struck. I think it's when he confronts him, like he's reading the books, trying to figure out how to get into Talo. And he's like explaining how he, he knows about it. I think they talk together like one-on-one, but like, that's it. Like, and it's such a major thing. Like I know obviously like, you know, Shang-Chi's dad, he's a bad guy. He's been this warlord for however long, but you never really get that time where, you know, like Shang-Chi has like, understood like who his father is and it's like i'm prepared to kill him like that's a big decision to make and it seems like in the moment that katie wants to say something to him about it because she realizes that you know that's like a big thing and she says as much but then he kind of brushes her off yeah so i don't know i feel like it, we it was like almost whiplash of like we don't get enough time with him and his father establishing their relationship and then he's ready to kill him and then he's not so it was just like, yeah, I wish there's a little bit more meat there, maybe spending more time together as a family, like earlier. I mean, the whole plot to get Shang-Chi and the sister back to the dad's house was so contrived. Like, why would you send a hitman to steal a necklace and also try to kill your son? And, and then, then send a previous, postcard? Yeah, previously I had sent him a postcard that was supposed to be from the sister so that the sister and he can reconnect. Like, what was the point of that? I don't oh. understand. So, yeah, I think there's just yeah. like a, a few decisions around that relationship dynamic that just didn't make a lot of sense. And all of the flashbacks we see of Shang-Chi and his dad are ones where the dad is not being kind to him. It would have been nice if they like added to the ones where he's having these tender moments with his mom. The dad is there too to establish that at one point they did have a very close bond. It yes. wasn't all about the mom. Because the way they laid it out, it felt like he had a very close bond with his sister and his mom. Then the mom died and the dad was a jackass. Like, where was that initial bond? And, you know, a, even a little glimpse could have been really helpful to just, like, make it come full circle for us. Yeah, that's a great point. Especially, like you said, Malika, 
that we saw the scenes of Wenwu kind of softening up when he met his wife and when he was spending time with her. And we saw scenes, you said with his mom and his sister, but really we didn't see any scenes with Shang-Chi and his sister until they met again in Macau. Like the flashback scenes are just with the mom. Or the sister being neglected. Right, right. Mm. And I think uh, that's a great point. That totally would have made the emotional impact of like this battle at the end. It would have been so much more fulfilling, like seeing someone you once loved and cared about having gone down this dark path and then, you know, using that to be the emotional punch of when when Wu decides, like, you know, actually, this isn't, I'm wrong, this isn't worth it. Damn, that's a good one I should have changed. <laughs> Boom, we nailed it. We'll have to it. come up with something else. The other thing that's very obviously a theme here is like the idea of sacrifice. Like, it, it comes up with the relationship between the parents, right? The parents meet. It's very romantic, as you said, had, like, hints of Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon there. And then they both decide, that both the parents decide to give up something that's really important to them. The mom leaves her mystical world. She has powers. The dad puts away his 10 rings and they create this family. And then so quickly after that, you know, after the mom dies, he picks them right up. And I thought, you know, jumping right into it, I thought that that sacrifice got weakened with like, there. it was like, okay, I'm angry here. I'm putting them on. I'm going to get revenge. I felt like if there was a moment there where he like looked at his children and I don't know, there could have been some tenderness there that could have like answered the questions that we were trying to get answered before on family and their bond, but also allowed the sacrifice that they made, he himself made and his wife made so much deeper. Like I would have been bawling. <laughs> <laughs> And that's a very important thing to call out because Malika did not cry when Wenwu died. She did not care about Shang-Chi's father biting the no. bullet. And she cries cried? at anything. Did she cry at all? I cried when the teacher died. The oh old like master <laughs> at the village. He, he's like protecting Katie and he's like, you're not ready. And she's like, no, I need to help my friends. And then he's like, okay. He takes a chance on her and he's like protecting her and he gets an arrow through the heart or wherever incredible <laughs> i cried it was like probably like a 10 second scene and i was just like sitting there with my mask on like bawling at the theater oh my god i'm actually this I'm is, actually i just realized the most pathetic of all the pathetic cries okay you, you say pathetic i was gonna I say, say like we haven't done like a cry watch in a while but this yes. is the most egregious uh, probably <laughs> but i will say remember the old grandmaster or whatever his title is because he will come up later i have a fun fact for you Ooh. oh Okay. You know, planting the seed now. <laughs> yeah. One thing I also wanted to talk about was this kind of idea of identity and like building a life for yourself away from your family. One thing to note is like from all my like Asian friends are like, that's such a Western kind of conceit of you having this individualistic journey away from your family. And I find that really interesting that to me, that makes this story the ultimate kind of Chinese American, Asian American tale, because it's about someone that has grown up in steep tradition. Like his dad is literally thousands of years old and has seen, I don't even know what in his time, his mother's family came from this mythical land. I don't know. She could also be thousands of years old and has this amazing history. And he's like, but I want to go build my own life parking cars in San Francisco, (laughs) you know? So I, I do wonder how much that is like that plays on the international you know, kind of box office is always in the back of mm-hmm. our thoughts of probably theater goes, but obviously the forefront for the studios of like, can we get this movie to work if we release it in the States and also in China, which would be you know a large market and obviously has a connection to the film. You know, it seems like as of, you know, just like the last week we like looked into it. Right. And there's a chance this movie is not going to get released in China at a wide release. So I know I, I just find that interesting how, this, uh, such a central part of the movie makes it kind of not invalid, but just <laughs> inaccessible to yeah. a completely different part of the movie going audience. So, you know, it's really interesting because you're right. This theme of identity and, you know, finding your own identity being, I don't know, breaking away from your family, making your own path in life is a very American value. It's yeah. the American dream, right? Like making your own way, like building your own self-worth, um, becoming your own very person. Much, yeah. And, from what I've heard, what I've read, that's not a theme that resonates well with East Asia, specifically China. But personally, I would like to go back to the days where, you know, there's a 
strong story and theme for specific people to relate to and not the lowest common denominator because yeah. I think you get much more interesting stories with a specific viewpoint and story to tell as opposed to trying to make a movie that's going to make the largest number of people unemotional about it just happy with it. And what's interesting about that is that, you know, the director of the movie, Destin Daniel Cretton, he is known for making these smaller stories and for making stories mm -hmm. that you know, will probably resonate with like a certain audience. Like, I think that's why I think it was intentional. I think leaning into this sense of identity, because keep in mind, like Shang-Chi is not a major comic book character. I wouldn't even see probably level C, which what Iron Man used to be before the MCU and stuff. So like they kind of had a blank slate to do whatever they wanted with this character's yeah. origin. And they specifically went down this path of this young kid is trying to break away from his like abusive household and like figure out who he is separately from, you know, this man, you know, that he kind of hates that is his father, but he also is connected to it in a way that's, you know, impossible to break. So like, I think that was a specific choice and I'm glad they did that. All the best elements of the movie came out of that and that sense of conflict of like Shang-Chi feeling at odds with who he was versus who he was trained to be or, you know, the relationships that he had separately with his mother and his father. To me, those were the things that made the movie the most engaging. Mm -hmm. So I'm glad that we got someone willing to take a big swing, even if some of the plot points were either to Will's point, just bland and not really there or just maybe made things a little bit too convoluted. I totally agree. Those are the strongest points. And we see that strong theme exemplified just through Katie and Shang-Chi's relationship. Like mm -hmm. Katie has these expectations from her parents on what she should be doing from her family, what she should be doing. Shang-Chi. I mean, even their friend, their right? Friends, when the right? whole thing starts with them at dinner and the friend is like, isn't it time for you guys to get real jobs, you know? And like grow up. Like, what does that mean though? Yeah, and at the beginning, they don't necessarily say this, but they're like, I'm trying to figure out what makes me happy and what I want to do and not necessarily what's expected of me. And that's just such a strong theme that I think all of us relate to, like trying to find yeah. your path, your calling in life. I agree. I think those are the strongest parts of the movie. And yeah. it's disappointing to me that it backslides into classic Marvel CGI battle yeah i think we're always gonna keep coming back to that third act because I, I was it you will that said it's like the most egregious <laughs> example thus far of like you're having first of all you have shang chi and the rest of the characters in this beautiful like you know almost mythical land they are kind of ingratiating themselves they find out they have an aunt they didn't know about she's teaching them about the, the history of the place and it just feels like they're in just like this magical wonderful land and then all of a sudden a <laughs> tank or something like multiple military grade trucks are just driving in and then there's people shooting people and then there's a dragon and it's just like what happened to all the talking and martial arts we were just doing? Let's go back to that. That was great. Agreed. <laughs> Michelle Yeoh kicking people's asses? Please, more. Yeah. <laughs> and then it only gets worse when all these two dragons appear. A dragon <sighs> for good and a dragon for evil and they battle it out. The battle of the deus ex machina. Yeah. All right. Maybe maybe we should get into what, what we would have changed about this movie because it feels like that's where we're all leaning. Yep. The train is headed there, so we'll kick it off. What would you change? Well, a more simple one that you guys brought up earlier in the pod, specifically Malika, you suggested this. I'm, I think I would go with this of all of like the ideas I had, but just adding more in the flashback scenes of the entire family being happy and content together because it would have added more to our understanding of their relationship as characters, both between Shang-Chi and his sister, his sister and Wenwu and you know, when we were the dad and Shang-Chi, like that's a triangle of relationships that we could have gotten so much more insight into where it started yeah. and how it is now. If we saw that instead of just having to like come up with an imaginary picture in our head of what they were like before the mom died. They could have taken a page out of Black Widow. You know, we were obviously comparing them. That also came out early this summer. But I think Black Widow did a great job giving those little snippets of emotion, you know, in the flashbacks that built up once we got back to present day. And they had kind of followed that rule book. I think this could have been so much stronger. Now over to you, Clay. I know we all said that we did really enjoy this movie. What did you think was the pitch perfect element of this movie? Yeah, I mean, I kind of already hinted at it earlier, but it has to be the fights. Mm. I know 
you know, in order to, I think, the trailer to drum up a lot of excitement, we saw a lot of the bus fight, if you will. Mm. But I actually think there was more to it that we didn't see in the trailer. And I really enjoyed just like, like, obviously, I'm not an expert at all in martial arts films or the specific like wuxia genre that, you know, this movie's kind of um, you know inspired by. But this movie's choreography seems refreshing in a way that I didn't realize I even needed from the MCU. Like outside of maybe the Captain America movies, I always find the hand-to-hand combat very lacking in that level of fight choreography. And I've, and I've heard like, you know, lamentings online from people that are fans of that type of stuff saying, saying just as well. But I just felt like we got such long meaty fight scenes. Like it was so great. Like, Clearly, Simu Liu and uh, Menger mm-hmm. Zen, who plays the sister, they put in so much time into learning this choreography. I believe uh, Menger Zen hadn't even done any fights training yeah. before this. So I loved how long we saw the fight scenes, the different angles, like the shots that were t- taking place on the side of the building fight, which was not that was my kind favorite of, fight. Right. Yeah. It kind of reminded me of like how in Ryan, the last dragon, we saw some interesting, like yeah. almost comic book angles from the camera. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think we saw a lot of that here too. Like it was just, we were getting different angles. We we're getting close-ups. We we're getting long shots. We we're getting like, you're getting some drops. Amazing. Yeah. It was, it was there really was well done. There was one specific shot where we're like seeing the entire fight and then it kind of, zooms out and pans and yep. we're seeing the it's like fight. a video game it was like watching a video game and we it were watching great. the oh, fight beautiful. in the yeah. reflection of the windows and then we like mm-hmm, see t- mm-hmm. uh that was a great shot totally then you're not sure what you're seeing and then like, there's like an act like a movement and they're like oh he's over here actually it was a nice like fake out for us as the audience it was really well done it was actually beautiful i remember being in the theater watching this movie and i was like yes let's go because like you know the movie was doing well it was chugging along but that's like when i was like okay i'm in i'm completely invested totally agree and personally i think that the 10 rings themselves as a weapon yes, yes. are the best marvel weapon in the entire mcu like i'm trying to think of something that i enjoyed more just watching in action but i don't think there is just the mechanics of how they worked they were kind of like whips at times at times they functioned Mm -hmm. like a boomerang or at times they functioned just as an extension of a punch shooting off his arm that's how he quote unquote flew from place to place as he punched him really hard into the ground and they shot off and like momentum shot him off. It was so cool. The mechanics of the 10 rings and something I appreciated. And this is a side note totally, but appreciated in this movie in general is that they didn't really give those mechanics away in the trailers. Yeah. Yeah. Something most Marvel movies. Yeah, We didn't see the rings that much. I feel like something most Marvel movies I feel like are doing these days is giving away too much in the trailers, but this one didn't, we didn't really see the whole Talo city at all in the trailers. We didn't see a whole lot of how the 10 rings functioned. It was a lot of just the fight scenes of uh, Shang-Chi on the bus and kind of in Macau, but the ten rings. Yeah, some stuff with like Aquafina, like right. that was it. But they yeah, saved yeah. a lot of the good, the good fight scenes for the movie, which I appreciated. So there were still some surprises left for sure. And actually, that leads in perfectly to my fun fact. I actually have one. Yes, the rings in the comic books are actually like rings on your fingers, but they visually look too similar to the Infinity Stones that Thanos has. And so, even though that's a glove, like. The visual piece of it was too similar. The third phase is now done. They needed something new. And so that's why they did these bracelets, which are, I guess, not technically rings, but they're like ring shaped. So it worked. And I, you know, I had no issue with it at all. But the other fun piece of it is that one of my favorite movies is Kung Fu Hustle. And the director, his favorite movie, one of his favorite movies is also Kung Fu Hustle. And so there was an inspiration pull from there because there's a character, I believe it's the tailor, who has these rings on his arms and he uses them as weapons. Granted, you know, they don't have this power that they do in, in this <laughs> it's movie. It's like magnetism. But like, the, the, you know, the original concept is there. And Sean in his bedroom in San Francisco has a poster of Kung Fu Hustle. So they did like do a nice nod. The other fun fact that I just learned... We're getting like three for one. We're getting so many, because I'm very excited about this, is that the landlord, who kind of steals the show in Kung Fu Hustle, which again, highly recommend if you haven't seen it, um, is actually, wait for it, 
the guy that I cried for. He's like the old master that teaches oh Katie, which I didn't even put together until like I was doing research. But yeah, maybe that's why it was connected. <laughs> he plays an <laughs> asshole in Kung Fu Hustle, but um, so the characters are very different. But he is, yeah, it was nice that they brought him back here. He's like, you know, a stage legend. So uh, that that nice little Easter egg was fun. That is fun. Oh, that's dope. Um, speaking of Easter eggs, I feel like we must mention all of the cameos that were in this movie. So obviously we got our boy Ben Kingsley um, reprising his role as the Mandarin or Treva. Then you have Wong from Doctor Strange who shows up you know, once in the He's main movie. He's doing like weird cage fights for money. Yeah. I, I was like, I with, wanted to know a little bit more about that. Why does Wong need money? <laughs> it felt a little forced to me. I was like, oh, are you bringing him here? Because he's like the only other Asian character. I, I was wondering the uh, same thing. Yeah, I don't know. It felt like a weird one. I mean, and then at the end, in the either the first or the second um, end credit scenes, I forget which one, they bring him back and they kind of show you where this story feeds into the rest of the universe. And, you know, obviously Wong is there again so maybe there was more to it but without that context it just felt so random yeah maybe more of the Wong stuff got cut or something because it was just like it was like they they basically like who's available to shoot on this day in Australia because we need a cameo from an existing phase three character but did they need it it I guess that's my argument is that it didn't add anything and it didn't take away anything it wasn't you know certainly not my JB Smoove it was fine but I don't know if it necessarily gave me anything that's all this isn't necessarily a cameo, but I do want to give a special shout out to Ronnie Chang, who plays mm-hmm. his character, John John, who's Zhai Ling's like assistant at her fight ring. But that dude is so fucking funny. He's on yeah, The Daily Show. His stand up, his most recent stand up on Netflix, I was crying. It was so funny. So <laughs> he was really look good. up Ronnie Chang's stand up. Sponsor us, Ronnie And, you know, he had a, like, a funny moment with um, Aquafina where she's like, oh, I don't speak Mandarin. And he's like, don't worry, I speak ABC. Yeah. And it was like a nice <laughs> it nod. It was so to, like, funny. The, you know. I want to believe that that he uh, ad-libbed that. Like, that was in the script. Yeah. <laughs> they just I, picked it. I did read that much of the interactions between Simhuli and Aquafina, not a lot of it, but a bunch of it was uh, ad-libbed, especially the scene on the plane where she's trying to get the story from him of, like, wait, who are you? What's your background? And she's why am I coming here? Why are we going to Macau right now? Um, so a lot of that was ad-libbed. Super fun. And Interesting. I think we need to give Aquafina her flowers in this movie because for whatever reason, I don't know why, but whenever I've seen Aquafina in trailers in the past, I just think she's annoying. Maybe it's because they try to use her as comedic relief in the trailers. And I always think it comes off as over the top and I'm never looking forward to seeing her in the movie, but this movie has officially like made me change my stance on her because Every movie she's been in, I've always been surprised because I go in with the expectation that she's going to be annoying. But she's actually not only hilarious, but charismatic and heartfelt. Yeah, she steals the show in a lot of ways. She's charismatic. She's heartfelt. She's really authentic in her performance all the time. And I'm always kind of surprised by it. But like this movie especially, I thought she was great. She was more than like a sidekick. She was more than just a comedic relief. She was like a great friend to Shang-Chi throughout the entire time. And totally relatable. And shouts out to you, Aquafina. You're great. Yeah. And I'm now looking forward to Aquafina in every movie I see. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> what a statement. Um, and also, you know, to add to the list of like more than just a friend, more than uh, just a sidekick, she was also more than just a romantic interest. Like that's what happened to poor Natalie Portman in the Thor movies. Like she had no personality. She was just there to be the romantic love interest. And I was so relieved that they gave her a fleshed out character. They gave us somebody to root for. They gave her an actual role. She, in fact, saved the day. Her shot, her miraculous shot through that dragon's throat is how the war ended. And amazing. I love that she actually had purpose. Unrealistic, but amazing. <laughs> that might be the J.B. Smooth War because it's just like, how? She literally says, I just started shooting arrows like yesterday. Like, what? No, but Are she was good me? with the target. They gave her gave her some. It's not like she was like missing wildly and then got that one. Unfortunately, this movie has a few J.B. Smooth Awards, though. It's hard so to So let's one. get into it. Um, for... Those who are just tuning in to our pod, the JB Smooth Award comes from our very first podcast episode, Spider Man Far From Home, where JB Smooth 
incredible as he is, felt like he was in his own movie, like he was superimposed later on just to be like, oh, we need some comedic relief. And so from then on, we pick a person, place, or thing that doesn't quite fit into the rest of the cinematic world. And for this one, what are your nominees, Will and Clay? So, you know, just to rag on it one more time, I think the entire (laughs) final battle, final fight scene could be a J.B. Smith award. But my runaway favorite i don't i know you guys don't necessarily agree as much but razor fist (laughs) who was he why was he there why was he he was the romanian uh, why was he not only like why was he in this movie not only the only white person in the entire movie but like eastern european in china what how did he get there? Why is he there? Why did they go with this guy? Why does he drive a car with his name spray painted on yeah. it in like bright colors? And you're a ninja. Like he had like ninja. three lines. And you're an, an assassin. Like no. <laughs> he had like Be three lines man. and none of them landed. Like his one punchline where he's like, "Why would we join together to fight?" And then two seconds later, he's like, "Oh, we should join together to fight." Didn't land. I didn't <laughs> Did like not it. Land. It literally felt like he came from Creed 2 yes. and showed up in this movie. So, okay, bro, what are you doing here? <laughs> I think the producers just thought they needed some big, scary-looking guy because he is a big, scary-looking guy. He's Jack. He is. Yeah. He's got kind of that, like, heavy brow, scowl look down, but just didn't fit with this movie. Yeah, I don't think it was needed. I think you had other scarier or more impressive bad guys like his dad i would rather seen him fight his dad for all the scenes that were wasted on razor fist right or the sister or there was that death dealer death there dealer. was another yeah like, we didn't get enough of death dealer he kind of felt like he was just like thrown and in then there. died pretty early into that battle with it the was like the first one <laughs> yeah exactly um so i i give it to you for razor fist but I also want to throw in, I did mention this earlier, is the two dragons, I just do not think this movie needed it. And we were, you know, it was trucking along, the movie's fine, and all of a sudden this, like, good dragon just jumps out of the water. And I felt like, for a second, I was watching Raya and the Last Dragon. I was like, wait, which Disney movie am I watching? And then then another dragon shows up, and there's this dragon fight, which just was just so underwhelming. And I don't know. I feel like this movie deserves something more epic, and that was not it. I really wonder if in a few years, like five years, we're going to hear some story about the production of this movie where there was some conflict behind the scenes of who wrote what, because seriously, this whole movie was about the conflict between the family and the buildup of the relationship with son and daughter against father and then all of a sudden they're just like boom dragon fight dragons no one wanted this nobody asked for it yeah unfortunately this seems pretty common in like the mcu of like disparate storylines kind of having to come together you know i think the the rumor i don't know if if it's a rumor if it's been confirmed but like there are entire chunks of you know certain films kind of already ready to go before the director and the creative team that are kind of the ones behind like Mm -hmm. doing the day-to-day even come in so it's kind of like they have to work around or work within those set pieces that are kind of already designated but yeah it it's really interesting and again it makes you wonder like what is the strategy that that Disney and Marvel have by hiring these kind of like up-and-coming auteur directors and being like hey make an MCU movie like I'm personally not necessarily opposed to it in like a creative level I know a lot of people see like folks making big budget films or like ah, oh, like it's just like selling out I think as a director especially a director that doesn't typically make high grossing movies is like if you can get paid for one thing and then you can keep doing what you want to do great seems really bizarre that some of the like the meteor bits of where these stories could go kind of gets uh disregarded just so we can have that kind of uh, connective tissue to to show everything like explosions you know how this fits into the larger scope yada 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 i think it's great that they do it because they bring new perspectives Mm -hmm. to these to this franchise yeah agreed. but just give them more of a leash to do what they want to do with these stories as opposed to let them walk up to a certain point and then take it from there Because you need to have somebody who gives you a shot. Like, you're not going to only ever do blockbusters, right? you got to work your way up to it. Somebody's eventually got to give you that shot to do it. And so I do respect that a lot. Also, I really love that... 
the writers and the director were all of East Asian descent. Like, I loved that. That felt like a great move. Because I, sometimes they'll do it, like, half-assed. Like, you know, they'll yeah, make Yeah, Disney's some... been making slow progress in this regard. Right. It's like, so hey, like, okay. the fight choreographer is from this culture. Hey, one right. of the writers is from this culture. Look, you got a director. But then right. it's like the person scoring the movie is white. It's like, all right, right we'll exactly. So I feel like that, you know, moving in the right direction. Also, I don't know if you guys noticed this, but I also really appreciated how much Mandarin was in this movie. Like, I think there were, you know, the first few scenes were all like, there was so much. And I love that. I was, I was like, I thought that was a bold choice for a movie potentially made for American audiences. Like, we don't know. We have to talk to Kevin here. Subtitles? Can we get Kevin uh, on the pod? I know, right? <laughs> Kevin, are you available? Sponsor us. Um, yeah, I would love to hear like where those decisions were made, but I I thought that was a really strong decision. There was a lot of it, and they didn't they places where they could have easily switched to English, they still chose not to. And then other places, of course, they did, but they did a, a nice mix of that, which I thought was. I great. wonder if the success of Parasite, especially winning Best Picture mm. two years ago, is gonna down the line lead to studios being more willing to have subtitles and have different languages in their blockbuster movies because it kind of showed okay americans can read we can watch movies we with can. Some, some of us we read some of us can read sparingly we read good and we can watch movies with subtitles so it'd be interesting to see yeah i mean honestly the success of this movie will True. do that right like this was a box office success here and i you know as a Asian American, I it was important for me to see this opening weekend. So I'm super excited that this crushed the box office. That being said, let's switch gears. And I would love to hear your nominees for our third Wink Award. And so the Wink Award, a quick refresher, comes from Cruella, where our dear Wink, uh, this cutest little dog in town, kicked ass and he stole the show in a lot of ways. So the Wink Award goes to the person, place, or thing that was the unexpected delight and um, the, the sidekick that deserves more love. I'm torn. Morris and Morris. Morris. Yeah, to keep it as a cute little cuddly CGI animal, Morris would be a good... I know, you got to have something to sell in, uh, in That's stores. true. That's true. But Morris and tied together with Trevor, played by Ben Kingsley, the great Ben Kingsley, the two of them as a unit are simultaneously... Yeah, I don't think you need to separate them. Are simultaneously... They had all their scenes together. That is true. Both Wink Award nominees and JB Smooth Award nominees. I agree. Is this a first? I, yeah. I think this is a first for the pot. And I think... <laughs> that that shows you how brilliant Ben Kingsley is. He did not belong in this movie, yes. yet was so freaking delightful that it didn't bother me at all. It was not taken out of the movie that he was there. It was like, I was delighted. I was like, oh, there's Ben Kingsley. He's amazing. And also his portrayal of Trevor was amazing in Iron Man 3. It's just as good here. It's not a character that I'd ever thought that I wanted to see again, but I was not disappointed. Yeah, agreed. It didn't feel like it belonged the entire excuse for why he was there didn't make any sense in relation to the rest of the movie, but he was hilarious. His relationship with Morris was hilarious and cute. <laughs> it was very sweet. Very sweet. Yeah. And Morris saved the day. Yeah. That's true. Morris did save the day. And Trevor saved Morris by showing him how to play exactly. that. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. There you go. As a, as a duo, they, they'll get our Wink Award slash parentheses, possibly JB Jr. Was. I'm good with this. Junior JB Smooth Award. <laughs> Junior JB Smooth Award. <laughs> we keep making Honorable awards. mentions. Cool. Honorable and mentions. There's going to be a point at which we have an, an award title that's named that is so like esoteric <laughs> that we're not even going to remember the context from how we got there. It would be like, just know. this is the Falula yeah. Award. And you're like, where did we get to Falula? You just know. I wouldn't put it past us, so feels in line. So, guys, what would you rate Chang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten Rings? All right, just off the bat, none of us can use the rings for the rating. That's cheating. Fair enough. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, okay. So, unfortunately, I feel like two-thirds of the way through this movie, I was thinking above a four. Mm -hmm. And then mm -hmm. after the last 40 minutes, I think I'm down to a 3.4 out of five check off guns i'm sorry um dot emerald <laughs> necklaces smooth there well <laughs> so yeah 3.4 out of 5 emerald necklaces yeah well i like the way you phrase that that the movie was like uh sort of you know tracking to a 4 plus and then the last act kind of 
was a big hit job on it and and brought down its esteem. I'm actually kind of surprised that I thought your sco- your score would have, would have been a bit lower. You know, it's just especially you feel so strongly about like the plot being a bit of a mess. The plot was a mess. We didn't spend enough time talking about how much of a mess it was. But I just enjoy so much of the fight scenes. Like I'm a sucker for a movie with some really good, like you were saying, Clay, well choreographed fight scenes that are satisfying. It was funny. Uh, Simulu and Aquafina were great and charming. And for the first two thirds of the movie, I was willing to look past, like, I have no idea what the point of this movie is or where we're going or why we're doing any of this, yeah, but I'm having yeah. a good time. And then I stopped having a good time. So give it the credit for when it was yeah. good, but knock it for when it was bad. I think that's more than fair. And that's pretty in line with like how I would rate this. I think I would put it similarly. Like, I think, yeah, I would give it a 3.5, like, throwing dagger things that, like, uh, Jailing has. Because I felt like I enjoyed the movie for more than I didn't enjoy it. Like, literally, two-thirds. Um, but also, I felt like the highs were really high. And, like, the lows are just marble lows. Like, like yeah, you said, it's never like going to be complete crap. But it's just sort of meh. Right. You mentioned this earlier that Jailing didn't know how to fight. But let's specifically mention that she learned how to use that dagger whatever we dagger want to plus call it. ropes dagger on a rope thing yeah from scratch and she like it, she looked like a natural she was amazing so damn what a badass what a badass um wow you guys i think this is going to be the first movie that we've rated in a long time where we're very much in line because i am going to give this movie 3.5 out of 5 dragon scales and yeah i really enjoy this movie i don't think the plot is as much of a mess. Like, I don't think I would use that word at all. I think it definitely had a lot going for it. The acting was excellent. There there was some really good character development. There were some badass women. I'm really excited to see what Cheng chi brings in future Marvel movies. It got me excited. I was, I'm invested in this new character. I mean, I can't say that for every Marvel movie. Like, I have, I care zero shits about Doctor Strange. But Shang-Chi, I'm here for it. I want to see where he's going to show up. So that's why I, I'm giving it 3.5. But I did have to dock a little bit for some of the unnecessary elements, a.k.a. the dragons, and some of the mess towards the end. So maybe I will use the word mess, but very specifically targeted. We got you. <laughs> you got me there. Damn it. Uh, towards the very end. But overall, really enjoyed this movie. Any final thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I I just want to make sure we emphasize as well, like, what Simu Liu and Shang-Chi is doing for a lot of the Asian American community. We mm-hmm. saw this, you know, recently with Black Panther a few years ago. And for the Black, you know, movie-going audience, especially comic book fans, like, I think it's really important to call out that this is, like, a massive success. Like, even though, yes, because we're in the middle of a pandemic and this movie has been released only in theaters, it's actually not been a Disney Plus, like, simultaneous release. It's still made a lot of money, less than what you would see from most, you know, Marvel movies. Like, I think kind of the the 500, 600 million mark is sort of, like, the low end. And I think this is maybe tracking similarly to that. But it's still a massive success. It was the best opening for a Labor Day weekend movie, I think, in quite some time. And it's just so heartening to see folks who have not really seen themselves portrayed on screen, especially in these ways, like Asian men in particular are often, you know, kind of emasculated and not given, Mm -hmm. you know, that chance to be tough or to be the main guy and it's bullshit. And so I'm glad that we're getting this opportunity to see a more diversity come through in these superheroes. Well said. Yeah. I'm waiting for my Indian superhero one day. Kamala Khan. What? Where? When? That's a character in Marvel. Yeah, but I haven't gotten my movie. Where's my Kamala Khan movie? I don't know. You tell Kevin. Get Kevin on the phone. Yo, Kevin, like, now that you're Kev, sponsoring Kev. us. <laughs> I guess my final thoughts on this are I think there was a lot of meat left on the bone, specifically with Wenwu, Shang-Chi's dad. Um, there was a really interesting character development path they could have gone down of Wenwu being more of a a tragic villain than just a straight up bad guy. Someone who in all stories that we see of immortality, there's a big theme of the negative side effects of immortality. People, you know, losing people, your loved ones, you're always going to outlive everyone. Nothing has meaning when you live forever. And so we kind of see how um, when he gave up that immortality, and then he lost the person that he truly loved. It could have been more of a tragic story of him willing to die with them and then not getting that chance. And that's why he's putting back on the 10 rings. And I think there was some still 
there was some love there between Shang-Chi and his dad. We saw it in their final fight. And I thought that this could have taken more of the Wreck-It Ralph approach, you know, like just because (laughs) you're a bad guy doesn't mean you're a bad guy. Like there were times where he wasn't necessarily a bad guy. He just was doing what he thought was going to bring his family back together. Um, and it could have been... Yeah, which is a very, like, relatable right. thing. And right? it could have been an even stronger theme of this movie, but it just kind of felt like it was left on the table there. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I didn't really understand what his motivations were up in... The dad's motivations were up until the point where he, like, starts to go a little mad hearing the voices, thinking that his wife's still alive. Like, you have these rings, you have this immortality. What is it that you're seeking? Because he... They show a little bit in the beginning. He's like conquering all these places. But to what end? You know, he's moving on to modern times. He's in a suit instead of like other garb. But like what is his main goal? And I don't think we ever get that. And that kind of feeds into what you were saying earlier with like the postcard. Like there were all these little things with the dad. We just weren't sure what he wanted. Did he actually want his son to come home? Then why did he send an assassin squad? Did he actually want his kids to, you know, join him on the quest to find the mom? Those are the only phone numbers he knows are are assassins. Right, maybe, So he's like, I would have called. Like a still think the plot was in a mess. Assassins. Oh, damn it, William. Still damn think the it. plot was in a mess. Okay, okay. Maybe I'll uh, I'll take it down a little bit further. But no, no, I'm gonna keep it three way. Okay, fine. Maybe it was a little bit of a mess. For me, the last thing I wanted to say was I really did enjoy how they opened and ended the movie with um, Sean and Katie having drinks with their friends and uh, with their friend and her husband. And, you know, they're like telling a funny story. And then at the end, they're like telling this epic tale, but almost in the same intonations and like the same like enthusiasm they did about like a more mundane story. And I just thought that was super cute and very much like the right fitting end for this story you can't just leave it after like a crazy dragon battle you kind of have to bring it down and i thought that was a great way to like book i agree it. it was a great book end lovely cool that's it thank you so much for joining us as always you can follow us at the cynical pod on instagram we may or may not have facebook anymore i don't know Clearly me and mark zuckerberg are not friends so that's tbd Find us on Instagram, and of course, you can follow our incredible producer, contributor, best friend for life, Aaron Kelly at ak.audio on Instagram as well. Bye. And sponsor us if you just have spare money to sponsor. We have Venmo. Sponsor us into the ether now. Whoever is out there. How about Venmo us? If you enjoy our pod, just send us Cash app. I'll take cash app. Just mailed me. Dollar yeah, bills. Yeah, just put some dollars in dollar, an Dollar bill, y'all. Send us a postcard. Wait, no. Damn it. <laughs> okay, goodbye.